Before we begin this morning, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Lord, we have asked you to bless us this morning with your presence. We do not ask this because we do not believe that you are not here. Make us receptive. Make us see you. Make us hear you this morning. Lord, there's not a word that I can say that will change anyone's heart. But may you move in power. By the power of the Spirit, change us this morning. Recreate us into the image of your Son. Bless us that we might be a blessing. Lord, we ask you to draw near as we have many among us who are suffering. We ask you to bless Jonathan Pence. We ask you to bless Ann Graves and Penny Gardner. We ask that you bless Joan Raspberry and John Michael. And in that same breath, We come to you and rejoice because you have heard our prayers and you have acted on our behalf. We thank you for what you have done for Peggy Bauer and Miss Mary Elizabeth and for John Sidney this morning and for Ron Hopper and for Miss Gale and for Raymond. Lord, we ask that you would work and you have answered our prayers. May we be a people who rejoice in your faithfulness to us. Lord, we ask you to bless us as a church. We look at our bulletin and it's full with activities and meetings and groups, but none of those things make any difference if you are not with your people, if you are not moving through us. if we are not studying and knowing and believing who you are and what you have done. Lord, we pray for this county as we continue to see people move here daily. Lord, may those people find good churches that believe in the gospel and the resurrection of your son. We pray for the other churches in this county that proclaim Christ crucified and raised. Bless them this morning. Give them hope of the future to come. Lord, we lift up Joe Johnson this morning, the RUF minister at Mississippi State. We ask that you bless his semester. May he love those students as you have loved us in Christ. We pray for our presbytery and the churches that are being planted. 
Lord, continue to draw your people to your word so they might see Jesus. Father, we pray for our president and our vice president. We pray for our Supreme Court justices. We pray for our representatives and senators. Lord, may you give them wisdom. Lord, may they love justice because you are a God of justice. May you use them for your glory and for the good of your people. Lord, we lift up the professors who are using technology in wonderful ways to take your gospel to places where it cannot go. Lord, we lift up Ukraine. We ask for peace. We ask for mercy. And Lord, may we be a people who pray as you have taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. An article that I read in Harvard Business Review, like many other weeks, it's just my normal read of the week, spoke about structure that is not stifling. It was an article that spoke about allowing your employees freedom within the structure of a certain business. For freedom can mean many things, but here as a baseline, it means trusting employees to think and act independently on behalf of the organization they work for. Business school management professors have struggled in the past with outdated organizational models in which their leaders dream up of a strategy and force their employees into this structure that doesn't allow them to flourish as employees. The question for these businesses is how can we allow our employees to flourish by expressing their personalities and interests at work while at the same time creating a relied-upon framework for the business itself to grow? Now, this morning, we're going to do something a little bit different that I don't typically do. And as we come to John 17 this morning, what I want us to see is that Jesus, in a sense, is giving his people freedom within his structure. As we can see in the disciples' personalities, they're different. They ask different questions, as we've seen through the last four chapters. They write differently, as we see and are presented in the New Testament letters. They have different abilities. And what Paul will say later in 1 Corinthians, that each has a variety of gifts, but the same spirit, a variety of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them and everyone. And what I want to see this morning is that Jesus, through the empowering of his spirit, has empowered his people to pray as he prays. For in John 14, we've been talking about this. 
He, Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. In chapter 15, he tells us, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done. And in John 16, he says, in that day, the day where our sorrow will be turned into joy, in that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. And doesn't it seem fitting? Four or three chapters in a row, he has told the disciples what he is about to do will allow them to pray in a different way. And then what does Jesus do? He prays. He shows them. Now, when we go to RYM, I always have this conversation with my chaperones. There's going to be rules. You're not necessarily going to like all the rules, but as a chaperone, my philosophy of ministry is that we are not the exception to the rule, but we show the students how to follow rules. This is what Jesus is doing. He's giving his disciples parameters. This is what it means to be a disciple. This is the structure, the framework of how I want you to live, and I'm going to give you freedom to explore how you fit in that framework. And what I want us to see is that these freedoms, we receive these freedoms by seeing Jesus exemplify prayer. At this point, you might be asking, what in the world is he talking about? But I want you to see is that Jesus gives the disciples' structure of how they can pray. We have the Lord's Prayer. But here in John 17, Jesus shows them how to pray. And Jesus prays specifically what life will look like next for the disciples. And what I want us to see, not not this morning... But what I want to see this morning is actually how Jesus prays. Next week, we're going to look at what Jesus actually prays. But what I want to see this morning is how Jesus prays. And I want us to see the the structure of that prayer, typically known as the Lord's Prayer, found in Matthew chapter 6 and Luke chapter 11. Now, there's great debate. Should the Lord's Prayer that we find in Matthew 6, as Blake read earlier and as we prayed together, should this even be called the Lord's Prayer? Some people believe that it should actually be called called the Disciples' Prayer, and that here in John 17, I don't know if your Bible has it, but my Bible has a um, chapter heading that says the High Priestly Prayer, rather than that actually could say the Lord's Prayer. This is the longest prayer in the entire New Testament. And I'm sure we've all heard it said, What goes in must also come out. Children, have you ever heard your parents say that to you? What goes in will come out. Now, typically, they're not talking about food. They're talking about what you watch or what you hear them say, which I'm sure is all just great things that you hear them say. But if you want to find out about who someone truly is, what they really are like, listen to the way they talk to people they love. Because what comes in will come out. 
with people that they love. Whether it's a a wife with a husband, whether it's two best friends, whether it's a child with a parent, or as we have before us this morning, a son with his father. We hear Jesus show the disciples what he's been teaching them for 17 chapters. We hear how the promises of God are really true in him through this prayer. We've seen his miracles. We've seen him heal people. And now we see and hear Jesus pray. And in the context, that makes perfect sense. Because as we'll see in two weeks, the next chapter, Jesus is betrayed, publicly crucified, and killed. And where does Jesus go first? He goes to the feet of his father. He's about to face an unjust murder, betrayal of his closest friends, rejection from everyone who knows him. And this is what leads Jesus to pray. Jesus runs to the feet of his father and he says, Father. Jesus practices what he preaches. What I want us to take from this Lord's Prayer, or whatever you want to call it, is see how Jesus truly prays how he taught his disciples how to pray. And although I would really like to go through the preface and all six petitions of the Lord's Prayer, I don't think I can do that without 50 minutes, and I'm guessing you don't want to be here that long. So I'm going to look at the preface and just the first three petitions um, this morning. So the first petition, our Father, who art in heaven. Henry Light is a famous song and hymn writer who wrote hymns like, Jesus, I my cross have taken, and praise my soul, the kingdom of heaven. And Kevin Twitt an RUF minister at Belmont University tells the story of Henry Light and how he had a wretched father. His father and mother split when he went off to boarding school and his father remarried. And then from that point on, every letter that his father wrote to him, he never wrote your father. He wrote your uncle. In other words, Henry's father never allowed him to call him father again. Yet, as he goes on to say, it's interesting that in each story of Light's hymns, in every one of them, the image of the Father in his songs is, gives warmth and comfort. In his hymn, Jesus, I, my cross, have taken, he writes, I have called thee Abba, Father. I have set my heart on thee. Storms may howl and clouds may gather. All must work for good to me. Man may trouble and distresses me. Twill but drive me to thy breast. Henry speaks of the power of how the gospel can transform the way we see earthly fathers and give us a true picture of what a father does. He loves his son. And this is exactly what Jesus has promised his disciples. You are my friends because you know my Father. 
This is new. This has never happened before in the history of the world. Jewish parents weren't teaching their children how to pray to God as father. Very few times in the whole Old Testament do we actually see Israel call God their father. But yes, yet here Jesus is doing something new. The newness of this new covenant is Jesus is representing God as our father who loves us. And if you were here at the beginning of this year when we studied the Lord's Prayer in Sunday school, you can remember what the Lord's Prayer isn't. Can anyone say what the Lord's Prayer isn't? I know it was in January. That's a long time ago. But in Sunday school, I taught that the Lord's Prayer isn't a prayer for orphans. It's a prayer for sons and daughters. It's a prayer for people who know that their father loves them and their father hears them. And we get to John 17, and guess what we see? Jesus six times says, Father. Father, the hour has come, in verse 1. Father, glorify me, in verse 5. Holy Father, keep them in your name, verse 11. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, verse 20. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, verse 24, and O righteous Father, in verse 25. B.B. Warfield says, Jesus doesn't correct the Old Testament understanding of who God is. He perfects it. Through progressive revealing of who he truly is, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who have eternally existed, one God and three persons, but has until this point at the son's humiliation revealed himself as a father who loves his children. It's been since the garden that God's people have known God in this way. And God's people now, through the person and work of Jesus Christ, are enabled to come into the presence of the father and say, Abba, Father. A few years ago, I was at a cycling camp with my team, and one of the leaders of the group asked me to pray for our, our, our group. We, there was a group of about 30 of us. We were going to do about 120 miles that day. We were just praying for safety, and so I prayed. On that ride, we had two crashes. One of the, the riders flipped over his handlebars. His bike hit the ground, and it snapped immediately in half. The next time... We had a crash. Someone crashed by himself, sliding under a guardrail. Both instances, these men were able to get up, walk away with not a scratch on them. Later that day, the leader who asked me to pray said, man, Tyler's prayers really worked. <laughs> and I didn't say anything because that's not the time to correct someone's theology. But what I thought immediately in my head was, my prayers didn't work. The God I prayed to worked. You know, we say all the time, prayer works. And I'm sorry to tell you, our prayers don't work. The God we pray to works. And the God we pray to listens to us because he is our father. You see, here in John 17, Jesus knows who he is. He is the son of a father. He's praying to his father who listens to him, who cherishes him, who has given him all things because he is the son. 
And this is the access that Jesus gives us. To come to this God, the creator of the heavens and earth, and we are able to declare, Father. This is what Jesus wants for us. That through faith in him, we are no longer orphans. And the Spirit of God bears witness to our spirits that we are children of God. And if we are children, we are heirs of the covenant. Jesus is teaching his disciples. This is how the Spirit enables you to pray. This is where we see the heart of our Savior. Because our prayers reveal our hearts. Whether we admit it or not, the way that we pray reveals our heart. Because if you don't pray, you are revealing your heart truly doesn't believe in the God who listens. Or worse, we don't think he can actually do anything. Jesus is teaching his disciples. He's showing his disciples what he's told them all along. You have a Father in heaven who loves you and who listens to you. I'm going to show you how to pray to him. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now, hallowed is not a very familiar word that we use every day. Maybe you do, and I've just misjudged you. But hallowed is the Greek word, and it and it means to, to set aside, to consecrate, to dedicate, to, to use for a, only for a holy use. And our Bibles only translate that Greek word here as hallowed in Mark 6 and, chap, and um, Luke 11. Nowhere else in the New Testament does it translate this word as hallowed. In the ESV or the NIV or the NRSV, the only place in the entire Bible this word is tra translated as hallowed is in the Lord's Prayer. And you might ask why that is. It's because the Lord's Prayer is the most memorized piece of Scripture in English-speaking world. And everybody has memorized it in the King James Version. And so these new translations follow the King James translation only in the Lord's Prayer. Not because hallowed has a deeper meaning, or it's more holy, or even because it's more correct. It's because it's more well-known. So what do we say when we say, hallowed be thy name? What we're doing is we're asking, we're petitioning. Remember, this is a petition. We are actually asking God to make holy use of his name. A name, Herman Bovink says, is a sign of the person bearing it. A designation referring to some characteristic in which a person reveals himself or herself becomes knowable. Knowing God's name, being able to call upon God's personal name, and how he has revealed himself brings life to the one that uses it. And when we are petitioning God, we are asking him, we cannot make your name known without you. You are the only one who can make your name known as you truly are. And this is exactly what Jesus has come to do. Now, this is a side note. I'm not going to let Blake teach Sunday school anymore because every bullet point was my point of my sermon, and it drives me crazy. 
But at the same time, I love it because it's what Scripture teaches. And that's exactly what Jesus has done in John 17. God has come to make, or Jesus has come to make the Father known. This is what we see in verses 3 through 5. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is what he says in verse 6. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave to me out of the world. This is what he says in verse 10. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have glorified them in your name. And in verse 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me and where I am, and see my glory, that you have given me because you love me before the foundations of the world. If you see Jesus, you see the Father. The entire book of John, from the prologue, has been describing how we know this God who loves us, and he sent his word. We see this in John 1, 14 and 18. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory as of the Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We see this in John 1, 18. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, who has made him known. If you have seen Jesus, you have seen God Himself. Jesus is the perfect manifestation of the God of the universe. And to make God known means we're making Jesus known. Jesus came that we might know this God. Jesus came that we might know how much this God loves us. Jesus came that we might receive eternal life. And what is eternal life? Knowing the Father and believing in his name. This is exactly what Jesus prays in verse 17. Sanctify them hallowed them. This is the exact same word. Set them apart in your truth. Your word is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I send them into the world. You see, both here and in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, Jesus is preparing his disciples to do what he has called them to do, to make the Father's name known through the Son. In this prayer, Jesus is petitioning God to do exactly what Jesus taught his disciples to do. He has called them and he has set them apart. Just as God did with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, where he called them and guess what he promised them? I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. God called Abram out from his family to a new place so that he might bless the nations. But guess what? This promise isn't fulfilled in us. God doesn't promise to make our name great. God promises to make Jesus' name great. And at the cross, God made Jesus' name the name that's above all names. It is at his name, 
every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the glory of the Father. And it's through us. It's through us, his people, that the Spirit of God is now working through to fulfill the promises that Jesus promised his disciples on this night in which he was betrayed so that we might make much of his name. It's because of what Jesus, who he is and what he's done, that not only are we able to do this, but that we might be able to do it faithfully. It's through the name of Jesus that one comes to believe. It's through the name of Jesus that one receives eternal life. It is through Jesus that we receive all of the promises of God. Is this the Jesus that you know? Because not only has Jesus done everything for you, but Jesus also gives you the means to do it. And this leads perfectly into the second and third petitions of the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. These two petitions are based upon the first. Hallowing God's name, making his name known, is how the kingdom comes. Knowing God, who he is, knowing his will, what he requires of mankind, is how the kingdom of God comes from heaven to earth. Thy will be done means your word be done, Jesus Asked, sanctify them in your word, in your truth. It is how he has revealed himself. The kingdom of God is anywhere that the name of Jesus is called upon, wherever the will of God is done, because that is when we see heaven on earth. This is what we saw in the miracles of Jesus. We saw glimpses of what heaven would look like on earth. No diseases, no death. And you know what's so amazing? Is Jesus is asking his disciples to participate in this kingdom. And Jesus is asking us this morning to participate in this kingdom. Because this is what he says. I pray for them that they might go into the world so that the world might know who you are. And this is how Jesus ends his prayer. In verse 26, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. He did it all. His humiliation, his perfect life, his death, all of it was done because he loves you. And God has asked you, his disciples, to participate in his redemptive plan of making the world, the kingdom.
where the will of God is done on earth as it is in heaven. To make God known as Father through the Son. And we are told not to be afraid. Because he is our Father. And fathers don't abandon their children. This is why we have promises. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am always with you to the end of the age. I believe that the other petitions of the Lord's Prayer are embedded in this prayer, but we don't have time for them. We can see how Jesus becomes our daily bread as his sacrifice in glory. How the cross, he will be glorified. We receive the forgiveness of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And we see exactly Jesus pray that the Father keep us from the evil one. This is the structure. This is the type of life and the parameters that Jesus is calling us to. And this is the covenant promises that we we, his people, are invited to and have freedom. Because where the Spirit of God is, we have freedom. My question for you this morning is, how are you using these gifts? How are you using what God has given you as an individual for the structure of the kingdom? To make his name hallowed to bring forth this kingdom, to fulfill his will, to allow the world to know God as Father. Jesus has given you all that you need. He never calls you to do something and doesn't provide the means to do it. And that's why we come to this table. Because it's at this table where we receive everything that we need Because it's at this table we receive Jesus himself. Let's pray.